Hi, my name is Shlomo Salsa, host of the Teenage Impact Podcast, where you will find the inspiration to get over your struggles as a teenage kid. I was bullied, had anxiety, depression, had friends pass away, and battled confidence issues for a majority of my life. Whether you have the same issues as me, feel lonely, face challenges in your home or in school, I'm going to be interviewing people who overcame these struggles and provide you with tips on how you can overcome yours. By the end of this episode, I want you to rate and comment on what you think of the podcast. This will allow the podcast to be ranked higher and serve more teenagers. I have my good friend, Dr. Anna Alperin with me, who I've known for about four years from the Brian Tracy Academy in San Diego. And right now, Dr. Anna Alperin is the CEO and founder of Awake Health Clinic. She's a functional and regenerative medicine doctor. She's a cancer survivor. She was born in Estonia, and she came to the United States at the age of 15. So today she's going to go over her story and how she was able to make it at the age of 15 in New York City. How's it going, my good friend, Anna? Well, that's a big introduction. Thank you. Um, We'll call you Anna or Dr. Alpha? Anna. Anna is fine. Okay. Yep. Anna is fine. As I said before, living the dream one day at a time. Uh-huh. Well, it's been a while since, you know, we've kind of connected and it's, it's crazy because I didn't really know your story too much until um, you actually told me about it recently. So tell us a little bit about how you came uh, to the United States at 15. I think every immigrant has its own story to tell and we all kind of go through hardships there. Once you enter the new country, um, I came to New York at the age of 15 um, under sort of interesting circumstances. My stepdad and my mom divorced several years prior to that. So he immigrated to New York and me and my mom were getting along as water and oil at the age of 15. And he mentioned that, hey, why don't you come spend the summer with me in New York? That sounded absolutely amazing. So Your stepdad, I- right? Yeah, I jumped on, literally on a plane and came over. And once I came to New York, there was a feeling that I got. It was like, I will have a lot more opportunities for for my future to stay here and finish my finish high school here. Mm-hmm. I ran that by a dad at a time. He was seemingly okay with it. My The woman he was married to at a time, because they got married and had a baby mm-hmm. at that point, um, the second she heard that I am planning on staying, she went into a completely uh, evil stepmother mode. Wow. I have no idea why. Uh-huh. And the circumstances were such that at the age of, we lived together from June till February, and in February, I just moved out. Mm, by yourself at, at 15. Yep. I was making bank because I was working for five bucks an hour, about 60 hours a week. That gave me enough money that I could rent a room in a basement. And uh, it was better than living under what I was living with them at home. So you were working 60 hours a week and going to school at the same time? Pretty much. Yep. 
Wow. How did you manage that? Um, so I worked full days, Saturday and Sunday. I would usually begin and close. I worked in a pizzeria on Brighton Beach. Mm -hmm. So that would probably, the weekends alone, I would easily put in 15 hours a day. So that's like, what, 30? And then mm. break 30 for another, like, and then I work like five or six hours after school every day. Wow. And then on top of that, grades. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> it was, it was a, it was a busy couple of years. Majority of it is a blur because you, uh -huh. I finished ninth grade back home in Estonia and I moved to New York in June and I started high school in uh, September. During that time, did you keep in contact with your mom or dad? Uh, of course, uh, my mom was uh, violently against me staying in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandparents, same thing. Uh, but it was one of those words I kind of made up my mind. Mm -hmm. Once I make up my mind, it's hard to convince me to do otherwise. Were there any breakdowns during those two years? Or did you kind of just kind of push everything to the side and push through? There were a lot of breakdowns, but those were the type of breakdowns that I couldn't afford to sit home and mm -hmm. not function. So even though like I was slowly dying on the inside, because I mean, between not speaking the language and spending the first year in ESL class, mm -hmm. Um, and I was always extremely strong academically back home. Mm -hmm. And I get to United States school and people are treating me like I'm not the brightest uh, pencil in the box kind of thing, because I couldn't, like, I couldn't write essays the way I used to. I, language was a big barrier the first year. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine what that does to your uh, self-esteem. Mm -hmm. uh, plus, you know, not fitting in because kids were making fun of me because I didn't know who Britney Spears was. I know, mm -hmm. I don't know who Britney Spears was. So there was the first couple of years, there was a lot of anxiety, self-doubt, depression, and all that, but because I kind of just needed to wake up and do, mm -hmm. it was just one of those, yes, I was dying on the inside, but on the outside, I still kind of tried to keep it all together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and how did you, how were you able to learn English? Was it strictly through ESOL class? So I had a, a little bit of an unfair advantage. I have taken English classes since I was six back home. So I thought I spoke English pretty well when I got to the United States, but it was not on the academic level of high school classes. And there, it's, a, it's a big difference being able to converse with someone and being able to take uh, 10th grade English and on that level. Mm -hmm. So that probably took me, I got out of the ESL pretty quickly because I didn't want to be there. By the end of high school, I was feeling confident enough with my English where I'm like, I can go to college, but it's probably three years and fully feel confident to be able to understand, because there, then there's another level of, level of complexity. It's one thing to be able to perform academically. It's another thing to be able to pick up the slang and the jokes and the metaphors mm -hmm. and that. Um, so that probably took fully five years. I feel you on that one, because I was in ESOL class for about, I don't know how long, four or five years. 
and I went to speech therapy for about seven years. Um, this was, and I, I was born in America. I was born in America and it was tough on me because I, my siblings got rid of their accents and they were born in another country. But I'm here, uh, people can't understand me and I'm having speech issues. It was kind of embarrassing with me too and I encountered a lot of bullying. So I totally can relate to you on that part. Yep. But, but what was your decision to go to college? Where did you go? So my first, uh, so I, um, I went to LaGuardia, New York. By some dumb luck, I was able to get in because afterwards I realized how lucky I was. Mm -hmm. LaGuardia High School, it's a public uh, school, but it's a school where it's a uh, school for arts and performing arts. Mm -hmm. It's technically, uh, have to test in to get in and it, it's kids from old boroughs. Um, I always drew. That was my passion. And when I was living with my stepfather, one of the daughters of his wife, she went to LaGuardia and she was like, you can, I can totally help you to put the portfolio together. And usually in September, they have just the one week for those kids who accepted initially, but something changed and they ended up not getting, they'll usually have a couple of spots. So she was the one who really helped me because I, otherwise I would have never known about it. So after, um, from LaGuardia. I had an art show when I was 18 uh, as part of our graduating class. That was a really cool experience. Um, I was set on some sort of like art is going to be part of my life one way or another. So I went to Fashion Institute of Technology. Mm -hmm. I spent five years there working on uh, interior design and display and exhibit design degree. And at the end of the five years, same thing, worked throughout the day, bartended and uh, waited tables at night on weekends to put myself through school. At the end of the five years, I was like, well, I'm about six months away from graduating and I absolutely hate it. I started dating my now husband, boyfriend at a time, um, at the, right around that time. And he's like, well, if you don't like it, why are you doing it? And I was like, well, <laughs> that's great. I'm like, here we are. I have almost a degree and technically could, you know, finish it off and go work and have a, you know, profession somehow, but my heart was dying and I absolutely, like, I, it just, it was one of those things like that I thought I have to do because I'm already in school for that, but my heart wasn't in it. Mm -hmm. So like that in between, like, oh, but he inspired me and said, he's like, Hey, you have one life to get, to live. He's like, what do you have to lose? I'm like, you're right. He's like, we're young. He's like, we don't have kids. He's like, you're not married. He's like, try to figure out what you want to do. Um, and I don't know if you believe in divine interventions. I, yeah. It was honestly one of those things where it's like, it's almost like I had a bit like I'm going to medical school and that came completely out of nowhere. My entire family thought that I completely lost my marbles. My mom looked at me, she's like, you're doing what? And uh, mind you, <laughs> that came in because I went to LaGuardia. I had never taken a science course in English in my entire life. Again, uh -huh. FIT, same thing. I mean, you don't do calculus at an art school, right? You do photography and all the other crap. Uh -huh. So I went to volunteer at the emergency room in Brooklyn, just to kind of see if this is something I can stomach. Um, and I started volunteering there on Saturdays and I loved it. 
I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie and just like the ER pace. And it was a super busy ER in Brooklyn. I was like, I love this. The fact that I speak Russian and it was in the Russian neighborhood gave me an advantage because the residents didn't have time to wait for interpreters to come and interpret for them. And because it was so busy, they started grabbing me very often. So I started doing a lot more than a typical ER volunteer would because they needed my language skills. Mm -hmm. So I got absolutely hooked. I was like, I'm totally doing this. So my next step was trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to get enough academics in order to get into medical school because most, I mean, American children struggle to get into medical school. <laughs> Here I am. Um, so I went to borrow Manhattan Community College. I was like, before I'm going to start investing like heavy money into trying to figure out, is this something I'm capable of? Let me take like three science courses. I was super intimidated by, you know, biology 101, same thing, it's college level English class that I'm like, I don't know if I can do this because it's a totally different language. It's a totally different terminology that you have to uh, learn. So I did bio 101, chem 101, and I think it's like physics 101, just to kind of figure out if this is something I'm actually capable of doing. So I did actually really well the first semester. I was like, oh, well, maybe it's not as hard. So then I did another semester. It's like, well, let me take the second level course and see if I can do this. Did you go to like a new college? I went to Board of Manhattan Community College. Okay. Uh, uh, be, because none of, I mean, some of my art credits would transfer, but I technically needed a degree. I mean, you went to an extra four-year degree to go to Manhattan. Yep. So first I got like the first three semesters under my belt at the Board of Manhattan Community College. And then they transferred into uh, Hunter, which is a four-year uh, school. Uh, for their strong pre-med. Same thing, I'm a uh, baby of public education. It's all public and New York is amazing in the way their uh, public education system works. So it's affordable and for people like me who didn't have the money, I actually got enough grants and aid and so on that made it possible for me. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I got another degree in creative writing and biology from Hunter. And at that point, I was very strongly building my resume because I figured out what medical schools want to see on your resume. Yeah. So between the volunteer work and the research work and all of the other extracurriculars and everything else, uh, I was able to build up a uh, strong enough application that I got in. Were you still working at the time as well? Once I decided to go fully pre-med, my husband, uh, I think I was married by that point. Um, we decided that we're gonna just do full-time school. So we started taking out living expense loans and maxing out our credit cards. Uh-huh, so taking a chance. And then you yep. got pregnant right before medical school, right? Yes, that was, in a retrospect, like what were we thinking? So two full-time students, no income, we're living off student expense loans. And we decided that it was a fabulous time to have a baby. She was very well planned. It wasn't an accident. Same thing, uh, his family was on the West Coast. We're living in New York. Um, we didn't really have help from my side of the family, but we decided that it was gonna be an awesome time to have a baby. 
So we planned it so I can have her as close to the end of third year as possible so I can spend all of the summer home with her. And in my last year, I preloaded the first three years so heavy that in my last year, I only had to take four classes total to graduate. So two classes per semester. Which is interesting because um, a lot of people I know now, they said, I know I want my career set. I want everything ready. And then I'm going to have a kid. But you were confident enough. You, you said, you know what? The time is now. I mean, back then you probably look at it. Sometimes you, you question it, but everything happens for a good reason. How were you able to manage having a kid, going to school full time? You know, what tips would you have for someone else? Because I, I actually interviewed uh, high school. Well, she, she's, she's in Dahl right now, but in high school, she had two kids. So she was also working full time. She had, a, she had a kid and eventually she went back to school. How can someone manage going to school, having a kid and doing well in life as well, like you did? Um, for me, I think I would not be able to be successful if I didn't have the full support of my husband, because I mean, it takes a village. Once again, in a retrospect, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? But at a time we had a plan and we had a good plan. We knew that, listen, I only take two classes per semester. So one, I was online, so I was home. And the other one was on Saturdays. So he stayed home with her on Saturday uh, and then went to pick, to pick me up from school uh, every Saturday. And the second semester, I made arrangements with my mom. My mom would come once a week to watch her. And then I think I also did like a weekend class. So we had a plan. So because I was staying home with her so much, we, we didn't have to pay for childcare. So that was a huge plus. Um, and then the plan was, as soon as I graduated from Hunter in New York, my husband was in his last year of dental school. So he was going to start working when I go to medical school. So we have support there. So it, for what it was, it was a plan. And then, uh, she was 13 months old when we packed a U-Haul with all of our life belongings and moved from New York to where I live now, which is Eastern Washington. So that's three and a half thousand mile car drive. Same thing my husband offered for me to fly with a baby, but I was like, no, we're gonna, it's gonna be romantic. We're gonna do a cross country drive as a family uh, with a 13 month old, don't do it. <laughs> if anyone is listening and thinking of doing that, cross-country drive in a U-Haul with a kid, just don't do it, fly, take a plane. That's crazy. And then you had a kid your uh, uh, third year as well, right? Or yep. So then I so moved to little town of Ellensburg in June and started medical school in August. Same thing, it was another round of complete and utter culture shock because not only have I never lived in a small town America, I've never visited small town America before uh, this trip. Um, it's to tell you that it's a culture shock was an understatement. To people who don't understand what living in a small town America means, it's a town of about, it's a college town of about 17,000 people. 
It has one of the biggest rodeos in the United States. I didn't know that rodeo was a real thing before I moved here. It's a pretty much old Western cowboy style of life till this day. Coming from New York to Ellensburg, <laughs> um, both my husband and I were like, whoa. It grew on us significantly um, to the point that I now can tell you that I've been here 10 years and I plan on never moving. I'm close enough to Seattle that if I need, you know, the restaurant or shopping, uh, we're close to it. Um, but the first two years, just getting used to it was another, I'm not going to say it's like going through immigration all over again because it wasn't, but it, it's a totally different piece of life. And you talk a lot about, um, how you used to, at one point, the reason why you started your practice, at one point you were burning out. You weren't eating as healthy. You were working a lot, especially with the kids. And you were going to school and you were burning out. What are some stress management techniques you have right now? If you can go back and you were doing it all over again, what would you do differently? I wish I discovered yoga earlier because that was a huge part of what kind of really helped keep it all together for me the benefits of yoga is not only physical but it's the mental that it just really helps anxiety depression any sort of weird feelings you may have uh because it really connects your breath to your head and helps you to kind of get rid of all that emotional block and the world of uh personal development I didn't know who Brian Tracy was until 2000, about a year before I went to his uh, thing. Um, same, it was another divine intervention. I was walking through a grocery store in Cleelum. Cleelum is a city of, it's an old dying mining town. Let's just put it at this, at this point. At that point, there was really not much there. And I don't typically buy magazines. All of a sudden, I am the magazine aisle and the magazine success jumps out at me. It has uh, Sarah Blakely on a cover, the founder of Spanx. I had no idea who she was. Something compelled me that I needed to buy that magazine. So I'm like, okay, fine, I'm going to buy the magazine. And in that magazine, they used to do CDs, like audio CDs, that like each month there's a new audio CD. So I pop it in my car and, you know, the voice of Sarah Blakely uh, goes on and I was like, oh my God. And she's telling her amazing story. Um, she's talking about how Dwayne, uh, Dr. Dwayne uh, Geyer helped her uh, when she was younger and voice of Brian Tracy pops up. No idea who the guy is really drawn to just like the energy of his voice. Um, and I can read the magazine cover to cover, listen to the CDs and I'm on the CD, it wasn't clear who he is. Jim Ron was another part of that CD. So I started YouTubing them and like just trying to match the voice to each other and see if I can figure out what these guys are. I did. So I figured out that it was uh, Brian Tracy and uh, Jim Ron. And that kind of changed my world. I was like, oh my God, there's like this whole industry that helps people get out of their head and actually feel better and more confident started buying books. Uh, and now I think every time I get into my personal funk, because we all have days and 
you feel like your brain is trying to kill you and you're at least for myself uh, i feel your pain sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and i suffer with anxiety uh pretty severe i can work myself into a very good panic attack i've learned how to hide it really well uh, but it's still kind of uh, underneath there um now i hire coaches to help me i try to do a weekly coaching session um i these are the things that i wish i had discovered earlier podcasts personal development um and then just surrounding yourself with happy healthy people who are not dragging you down and um, one of the things that my husband taught me because when you're going through either medical school or dental school, um, the strategy that the school uses is they instill a fear of God into you. Every test is if you fail this, you're gonna flunk out of school. If you fail this, you're gonna flunk out of school. You've, so if you can imagine 400 uh, type A personalities in one auditorium and we're all vibing on being afraid of flunking and so on and so forth, uh, it really like, if you're a sensitive person like myself, because I pick up other people's energy really strongly, it puts so much more stress on you. So my husband taught me really, he's like, only surround yourself with people who are not freaking out before the test. He's like, you see those people who are standing in a corner, you know, the 10, 15 people who are shit. He's like, just walk the other way. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to put you into like more funk that you need to. So trying to surround yourself with people who are just, trying to lift you up rather than like, you know, drag you down and, you know, the world is awful and we're all going to die and, you know. Mm -hmm. And then also, I mean, you literally started with nothing at 15 years old. You made it out on your own working 60 hours a week. And there are people out there that are using, you know, money as an excuse, background as an excuse, um, whatever it is, there's outside circumstances, which we can't, change. And I know a lot of my speaking engagements I do at school, I tell people you can't change your outside circumstance, but you can change your mindset and your action towards those circumstances. What kind of tips would you give those people who didn't have the same luxuries um, that other people do? I think for myself, because I mean, you, money was an issue uh, for sure. Um, I could have used an excuse that I was illegal for the first 10 years as an excuse and things like that. I think when someone is telling you no, because I've heard a lot of no's in my life, trying to figure out a way, like knowing where you want to go. So let's say I want to go from here to, you know, um, Hunter College or whatnot. And you hear a no that, no, you can't do that because I've heard it like, oh, we can't, you know, we can't do this. We can't do that. These classes can't transfer. This can't transfer. This and that. Rather than believing what that other person says, because all of it is our belief system, right? You can believe somebody who tells you like, no, you can't do that. My mentality has always been like, hmm, how do I get around it? So like really trying to, not for loopholes, but create your own loopholes that you need to kind of jump around. So, because the, if you want to do something, there's always a way, no matter what other people are telling you. When somebody is telling you, no, you can't do that, that's really a reflection of themselves, not you. And um, just having support of your friends and family who are pushing you, like, no, just no is not an answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that, 
I mean, my, my biggest thing is finding mentors who have done it, you know, like we went to the Brian Tracy Academy. Uh, right now I have a couple youth speaking mentors that help me guide me to help me get into speaking engagements for different schools. So whatever industry you're in, whether you want to be a speaker, whether you want to become a doctor, whether you want to become a lawyer, whatever industry you want to go in, find those successful people and pretty much replicate what they have done and what's worked for them and kind of make it your own. Um, as you said, mentors have been such a, I've always looked for, you know, those college professors who can mm -hmm. kind of get under the wing and mm -hmm. tried to, you know, not become friends with them, but really try to go to every office hour I could just so I can get more of them kind of thing. And usually people who are really saying that you're trying to succeed, they'll help. People who are successful, they will help others. To me, that's how I measure successful people. If you're just an asshole who's like really not trying to help anyone and, and you know, to me, that's not success. People who truly are successful and they see others who are trying to kind of make it, they will always take you on board. Mm -hmm. you, they will coach you, they will put you in, in touch with the right uh, person. I've had uh, my biochemistry professor who I was trying to jump through the loop of how to because Chemistry 101, you need a prerequisite of this, a prerequisite of that. Initially, I was trying to get into somebody's class and I didn't have enough prerequisites. Uh, so technically you can't, but if the professor physically allows you like writes an exemption, you can still get into the class. So my biochemistry professor, I came and explained my situation. I was like, hey, I have this amazing plan uh, that, uh, you know, and everything, you know, has its own time frame, right? You need to finish this before this and the yada, yada, yada. So he physically took me by the hand, went two floors down with me to another friend of his, knocked on the door. He's like, hey, I have this uh, student in here. She doesn't have enough prereqs to get into your class, but I think uh, you really should let her in. So that was like one of the examples of, he didn't have to do it. He took me by the hand, walked two floors down, knocked on the door and got me into the class. That's amazing. Now, yep. now, now let's talk about, uh, you said at the age of 30, you were diagnosed with cancer? Yes. Uh, what type? I went through the entire medical school, never heard of uh, the term before. It was literally one in a million diagnosis. Uh -huh. Fibrous sarcoma protuberance. Okay. So it's a fancy name for a sarcoma. Uh, sarcomas are the pretty rare um, soft tissue tumors. Um, they tend to be bizarre and quite aggressive. I got lucky in a sense that nobody wants to be diagnosed with a sarcoma, but if you could pick one out of the catalog, that's the one you want. Because mm -hmm. it typically is just a uh, large excision, but you don't need like chemo and radiation and all of that. Um, <clears throat> so that was another experience in itself. I was couple of day, a couple of months before uh, we were in Hawaii and I was putting suntan lotion on myself and felt like a weird bump in the back of my shoulder. Didn't look like much. I kind of looked like a cyst. I thought that's what it was um, because my hubby who is a dentist, uh, I almost convinced him to take it on our kitchen table. I'm like, just put some light again in it, cut it out, put a stitch in there. It's not a big deal. I'm really glad he didn't do that. <laughs> 
but he kind of looked at me like I'm a crazy woman. He's like, you do understand I don't cut skin. I can cut in the mouth, but he's like, I don't cut skin. He's like, go to a dermatologist, get this thing taken out. I'm like, fine, whatever. I don't have time for it, but sure. So I made a trip to a dermatologist. He uh, initially thought it was just a cyst, but once he got it numb and cut it open, he's like, this is not a cyst. I have no idea what the hell this is. Let's biopsy it. I was like, oh, great. Sure, let's biopsy it. Um, and I got a phone call two weeks later and um, I knew that it's not good because the dermatologist itself himself left me a voicemail. Hey, we got your biopsy results. Usually doctors don't call themselves, their assistants do. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay. So he calls me back and he starts the conversation with your results were double verified by Cleveland Pathology Clinic. I was like, this is not good. So he tells me that's what it is. Uh, I didn't know anything about this before. It was a bizarre out-of-body experience, like what they describe in movies where like the whole world starts spinning and closing in on you. Because I was like, I'm 30 years old. I have two kids. I was in my last year of medical school and uh, had about four or five months to uh, finish before I started residency. Um, and once you kind of go to... I don't know if you ha ever have been inside of the uh, cancer center. I hope you never have that experience. You're walking through the doors and you see people in wheelchairs and with no hair. And mm -hmm. it, it's a very sort of a scary place to be. I went to Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. Um, they're the sarcoma experts in the area. Um, had additional testing done. And um, my big surgery was February 14th. I remember that day because it was Valentine's Day. I refused to celebrate Valentine's for a couple of years afterwards. In fact, I was so traumatized by my diagnosis, I don't know why. Uh, my way of dealing with it was, I just couldn't talk about it. I wouldn't tell anybody, I was just could not. It, it wasn't a subject that I could bring up at all. But I think that really helped me to understand patient's journey and like what people might be going through. Um, because at least I had the advantage of I understand how medical system works. I understand what happens in the OR. Mm -hmm. I understand all of that part. And I still, having that, knowing all of that, I was so terrified that it took me three or four years to come around and really be able to tell that part of my story. Um, like it was bizarre to the point where my mom looked at the back of my neck. I have a pretty good scarf at the back of my neck when they came to visit. And she was like, I'm, what is it? I'm like, nothing. And I would like, point blank refused to talk about it like everyone knew that something is going on uh -huh. i could not couldn't couldn't explain to you why i think mm -hmm. like way of dealing with stuff when something is like outside of my control i just kind of like push through and ignore that it, that it's there it's crazy because i mean that's why i wrote my book um never fight alone is because a, a lot of people do this where they're going through a particular issue, whether it's something with their family, something with school, something with work, whatever it is, they keep it all to themselves when a lot of times solutions can be, not even solutions, you don't even find a solution, but it's just as simple as opening up to someone can help you have like this big relief. So what would you tell those people who wanna keep everything in with, like they think they can solve everything on their own or they think they don't need anyone's help, what kind of advice would you tell these people? 
the way I call it now and the way I try to help my patients when people come in with that is I call it shine light on it. Because when something really dark is happening, if you just talk about it and if you open up, it stops being this big dark secret. And it's and you'll always start hearing from other people. That's why I think support groups or people who are going through difficult health uh, issues are super helpful because once you realize that you're not the only person in that situation or has been in that situation, you're like, oh, okay, so you've been there and you came out, okay. But at a time, like I see that a lot actually in high functioning people who suffer through uh, depression or anxiety, it's almost like they're embarrassed to admit to the fact that they're feeling this nervous energy inside their body. And sometimes it's so overwhelming that but because we kind of don't talk about it, and a lot of times on the outside, people say like, oh my God, you're so successful, which means that you never struggle, you have everything together. But once, we, especially women, once again, I tend to draw a lot of uh, females into my practice, is like, but once they actually realize that they're not crazy for having anxiety, like, oh my God, like, do other women struggle? I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And like, pretty much all of us, like, nobody has all their stuff together. We all have difficulties. I feel like my brain is trying to kill me days. Um, and I feel like once you open up and you realize like, yes, I'm not perfect, but I struggle, but I don't use my struggles as a reason not to do something mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, but just opening up, I think my cancer journey would have been much easier if I chose to open up to other people and share that word. But once again, I could not, ex- I, till this day, I can't explain to why. For like a good three or four years, there was like a mental walk and I was like, nope, we'll talk about it. Like my hands would start shaking, even like thinking, like sharing that part of the uh, story with somebody. All I wanted to do was to run away, like get me out of that situation. Like, nope, we're not, we're not going there. I mean, to the point where like my mom literally looks at the back of my head and she's like, do you have a big scar? I'm like, no, I don't. So avoidance was my strategy. It's crazy because, uh, you know, when I start opening up about my anxiety, um, a lot of people had no idea. They said, oh, my gosh, she always seems so positive. I would have never guessed. You know, you're also happy. Um, you're always very successful. And it's, it's kind of like this face and mask you put on yourself um, and then kind of store it away. And you don't want to show any weakness to other people, which isn't true. But let, let's move on. Um, what's your motivation behind starting your clinic? And what's your main goal with your clinic? Motivation behind my clinic um, was through working in residency. I started, once again, being a patient myself a couple of times. Uh, I started seeing the shortcomings of Western medicine, where the only solution that patients are given is... Uh, medication and surgery and it takes so much more for the person to feel good and to feel healthy and to feel happy um, and those things are, I wasn't taught to address those things I the only thing I was really taught how to do well was what dose of medication I'm supposed to put you on once I discovered an xyz problem with you and patients were coming back and they weren't feeling better but I kept prescribing more and more and more and more and more medication at some point that started to burn me out. And I'm like, I don't feel like I'm making any difference in anybody's life. And then I kind of started looking into the world of functional regenerative medicine, which is led by physicians like myself who like, 
I just want my, my patients to feel better and who utilize, you know, things like meditation and gratitude practice and journaling and, you know, all of the other things that you can look into, breathing techniques to help with anxiety, uh, depression, positive mindset, which is a huge thing. Uh, I start discovering mentors who are kind of like on a four uh, uh, front lines of this type of treatments that really resonated with me. I don't know if you know who Joe Dispenza is. I don't. Dr. Joe Dispenza. Dr. Joe Dispenza, if you don't know who he is, he has a very amazing story. And uh, he's basically like a mindset motivational speaker, but who is a doctor. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book, You're Your Own Placebo, which kind of goes into how much our thoughts beliefs and mindset has to do with healing your body essentially like you can think your way into health if that makes any sense it makes sense i used to have stomach problems and i truly believe a lot of this and when i did x-rays nothing was wrong i was pretty healthy but like i said a lot of the issues i believe result from our own mental health in our own mind and they don't have i'm sure there's research out there but there's not you know it's really hard to actually like dive in and say okay this is what's wrong because you're thinking negatively so there is actually a lot of work that goes into uh, understanding how your thoughts and mindset affects your own health picture which is super exciting because you're no longer kind of like this doctor in a corner who's like saying now you can actually have a way to prove this and to me that is super exciting that's awesome that's amazing and where where can people find are there any websites people could find for this kind of work and if if they want help themselves um besides going to a clinic is there like specific youtube channel that you recommend specific people to follow on social media or just websites in general? So Dr. Joe Dispenza would be one of those. Uh, There is a, I don't know if you've uh, seen a very compelling documentary. It's called Heal. It's on Netflix. Okay. I should. Uh, It is, if you haven't seen it, it is absolutely uh, uh, mind blowing. Dr. Lipton is the other one that goes into, uh, you know, how mind and all of those things work. Um, but heal documentary, it's a good, Dr. Joe Dispenza is in it. It's a good, like an hour, hour and a half, Dr. Deepak Chopra. I mean, I think Deepak Chopra is one of the most known, um, I think that would be a good place to start. Okay. Wayne, uh, not Wayne, what's his name? Uh, the Iceman from, are you familiar with uh, the Iceman? I'm not familiar. <laughs> You're spitting out names I can't recognize. I usually... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wim Hof, his name is. So Wim Hof is a guy whose wife tragically ended her own life 15 years ago when he was uh, dad to four young boys. Oh, wow. Imagine, yeah, um, not to go crazy, literally. He started exploring into how breathing techniques can change your physiology. Mm-hmm. 
And he has become known as an Iceman because he holds the world record in um, running a marathon barefoot in minus 50 degree weather. And yeah, swimming for like miles on end uh, in the Arctic Circle and things like that. And the way he's doing that is he learned to manipulate his physiology by using his breath and his mind. That is amazing. Yep. That's amazing. And, and uh, uh, one last question. I end all my interviews with this question because all my interviews I do is around resiliency. What does resiliency mean to you? My definition of resilience probably would be not taking no for an answer. Okay. I love it. <laughs> don't take no from it. As yep. A- if you really want something, don't let anyone tell you that you can't have it. And you're the perfect example for that. <laughs> I'm stubborn. <laughs> That's a good thing. It's always a good thing. And where yeah. can people find you? Um, awakehealth.com. Uh-huh. Uh, Awakehealth is the name of my clinic. Awakehealth.com is our website. If somebody wanted to learn a little bit more, uh, we try to put as many resources on it as we can um, for people who truly want to approach their health sort of from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, Anna, I really do appreciate this. This is a good little reunion after four years. And and I'm glad you're doing well. And I hope uh, nothing but success and happiness for you and your clinic and your family. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a big honor. I've never done a podcast before. (laughs) I was just hoping that if my story can inspire somebody, that's all I kind of really hope for. If they can hear my story and say, you know what, I can, I got this, I can do this, um, that would be awesome. I appreciate it so much.